friend, family, neighbor uh, this Christmas season. You know, studies show that when you invite somebody one out of three times, they'll say yes, they will. Uh, but Christmas, Easter, a couple times a year, that actually jumps to two out of three. The two out of three times, they'll say yes, but here's the key. They're looking to go with somebody. Remember what it was like to come to church for the first time? Or maybe come to New Hope for the first time? It's scary, right? It's, it's what's it going to be like and what are the people like? And they drink Kool-Aid, hold snakes. I mean, what do they do here at New Hope? And so it makes you a little nervous. And, and uh, so here's the thing. When you invite someone, maybe suggest or offer, look, you want to meet there or we can go together, we can carpool together. That just it takes all that anxiety away as you think about coming to somewhere new. But you know, this Christmas season, people do Often, they want to come somewhere where they can celebrate, where they can worship, where they can be reminded of the true reason for the season. So my encouragement, if you would just prayerfully invite someone this Christmas season. Also, I wanted to mention, and we talked about last week, to my right, your left, is the tree of hope. And the tree of hope, as we did last year and started last week again, was, is, is a place where you and I can come recognizing that all, all of us this Christmas season are doing okay. It's a place to come for a few different reasons. First, you can go to the tree and you can, you can fill out a bulb and you'll see some bulbs on the tree already. And, and this is to, to fill out a bulb in remembrance of a loved one that you've said goodbye to far too soon. Somebody that you miss, somebody that this Christmas season, it just doesn't feel quite like Christmas because they're not here. And so it's a way to remember. It's a way to uh, reflect. And so you can take over there after the service and, and fill out a bulb and put that on the tree. We also have these over there, these Tree of Hope prayer cards. And this is a chance for you to go, and, and you can make it anonymous or put your name on it, but you write a, a prayer request that you have for yourself. Or maybe you know someone who's going through something, and it's just a difficult season for them. You could put it for them, and, you, and then you fold it in half, and you string the, the ribbon through, and you hang it on the tree. And the idea is that uh, somebody else will come and and take your prayer request and commit to pray for you during this Christmas season. This is us as a church being a family and being a community and a body to, to, to recognize and to say, you know what, you don't have to go through the Christmas season if it's a hard time for you alone. That We've got your back and there's somebody who's going to lift you up daily and pray for you. And if you put your information on there, they could reach out to you. And so the idea, church, is that as you, and this service is over, this is for all of us because as these go on the tree, they shouldn't stay on the tree. That you can go and grab one of these and say, I'm going to commit to pray for someone this Christmas season. You may be here this morning too, and, and, and while all that's fine and good, you, you just need somebody to pray with you. That you would just love somebody to come alongside you this morning and, and lift up whatever it is you might be going through. I also want to say after this service that uh, we're going to have some elders over there as well. And elders of the church, and they would count a privilege to, to pray with you, to pray for you, to pray for others that you know are just going through some things. Again, we don't want you to go through this Christmas season alone. So that'll be available for you after the service. Okay, if you would grab your Bibles, please. We are in the book of Malachi, and we have been for several weeks. In fact, this morning we are wrapping up. Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to start this morning. And if you're, uh, you're just joining us and you're wondering, Malachi what? What is that? Use your table of contents and you can turn there and, and get there. We'll also have the scriptures on the screen uh, behind as well. But as you're turning, a show of hands, how many of you are excited for Christmas? That's not too bad. Better than first service. It was 50-50 first service. I was a little concerned there. But uh, here's the thing, though. You know if we go back to the kids' wing, what's it going to be? It's going to be, right, who's excited for Christmas? It's going to be hoops and hollering and, like, legs and feet up in the air and all the voting, right? People, kids are excited for Christmas. And if you remember when you were a kid, remember the anticipation you felt? 
I remember as a kid, the paper chains, remember those? And you like make those and string them up and you clip them every day as you count down to Christmas. And sometimes as adults, we lose some of that, don't we? Sometimes as adults, we, we, we just get pushed, uh, we get pushed financially, we get pushed emotionally, we get pushed with our time, and some of that anticipation goes away. But did you know, the very first Christmas, back in time, 2,000 years ago, the very first Christmas was ripe with anticipation. In fact, if you look outside the Bible, you look at secular history, there were some unique things going on during the time of Jesus' birth that were fascinating. Let me share some quotes with you. Check out this one. This is by Suetonius, a Roman historian. He, wrote, he said this. He said, There has spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Again, this is secular history. Here's another one. Tacitus, another Roman historian. There was a firm persuasion at this time, that at this very time, the East was to grow powerful. And rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. Or Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, but writing on behalf of Rome. He said the Jews had a belief, for context, about that time, one from their country should become governor of the inhabitable earth. That's remarkable, isn't it? There was a buzz going on. There was a sense of anticipation, this sense during this time that God was going to do something remarkable. And he did, didn't he? The first Christmas, Jesus is born and shows up, and for some, quite different than what was expected. But God came through, and that first Christmas happened. A remarkable, a remarkable thing. You know, as we, as we anticipate Christmas as well, as we prepare our hearts God, up to this point, had been silent for 400 years. Malachi, if you remember, Malachi is like a, it's like a family meeting. And God the Father calls Israel together, and he's got some things he wants to say to them. And, and so as a loving father, he pulls them together. Now, he's, he says some different things. We'll come back to that in a moment. But when Malachi finishes, this scripture that we're going to look at this morning, from that point all the way till the first Christmas is 400 years. And in those 400 years, God is completely silent. Not a word. Scripture comes to a close until it opens up again in the New Testament with Christmas. And so you have this family meeting setting where God pulls Israel together. And as a loving father, he says, I love you, but you are disobedient. I love you, but you are behaving in ways not okay. And so as a family meeting, God the Father has some hard things to talk to them about. He's got some sin in their lives that he needs to point out. Just by way of review from the book that we've looked at, the people of Israel at this, at this season, they had rejected God. They had rejected his love. They had rejected God as faithful. They had rejected God as, as holy. And they had come to a point where they refused to obey God. And they refused, we looked at last week, they refused to honor God with their finances. I mean, just across the board, these are disobedient children of God the Father. And God is calling them out and calling them back. Now, in our passage, where we're going to begin in Malachi 3, there's one more area of sin that God is going to call out with these Israelites. And this one might just be the most shocking of all of them. Look with me at what happens. Verse 13 of Malachi chapter 3. God is speaking. He says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. That's the accusation. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? God again speaks, you have said, it is futile to serve God. 
And what do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now you call the arrogant blessed. And certainly evildoers prosper. Even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Ever felt that way before? Ever looked at kind of the landscape of life and said, you know what, people that try to honor you, God, life is hard for them and you allow them to go through challenges, but it seems like these other people that are totally ignorant of you and totally disobeying you and going their own way, like it all works out and life is good. This is the, the accusation they're bringing to God. And they get so far to the point where they say, God, it is futile to serve you. Like, what's the point of this? We don't even want to be a part of this. They're frustrated with God and they're grumbling against God. But can I point something out that's really important? You can't talk about God behind his back. That's what they were doing. He hears it all. He knows it all. And here these Israelites are carrying on. They're, they're essentially to paraphrase, paraphrase, saying, God, you don't give us what we want. God, you don't serve us and meet all of our needs. So guess what, God? We took a vote and we decided it's futile, it's pointless to serve you. So we're not going to do it. This, this is what they're saying. This is what they're doing. Because here's what happened. And what happens still happens today if we're not careful. And if you have your bulletin on the back side, fill in the blanks. Here's your first fill in the blank this morning. Here's, the, here's an idea. It's this. Is that when you and I stop loving God, you start using God. That's what happens every time. When you stop loving God, you and I start using God. And we develop what I call a quid pro quo faith. Now, we've heard that term a lot, right, in the news, kind of that nauseating stuff from Washington that's going on, right? All this quid pro quo, it's a this for that idea. That's what he's saying here, or what I'm saying here, is this idea that, that you, you and I develop this idea that, God, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. God, if you're good to me and give me what I want, then I'll serve you. God, if you're kind to me and give me lots of goodies, then I'll obey you. We can fall into that trap if we're not careful. When we start, stop loving God, we start using God. See, the Israelites, they didn't want God as a father. They wanted God as an ATM machine. They wanted God to provide for them and to give them stuff. That's what they were looking for. But here's the key. Here's the thing. God never, ever, ever, never, never, ever, however many times you want to say it, plays that game. Never. Have you picked that up? Have you noticed in your own life? You can't bribe God, force God, or manipulate God. He won't let us. You can love him. You can trust him. You can worship him. You can obey him. But you can't force him. And, and maybe, maybe you've had moments in your life like I have where you just, you come before God with the, the, hey God, here's the thing. If you do this for me, I swear and I promise and I'll do that for you. And we fall into these places and we beg and barter with God, but he doesn't do that. He, he never plays that game. See, when you stop loving God, you start using God. And this is not a fill in the blank, but here's what happens next. When you and I figure out you can't use God, what tends to happen is then we leave God. We turn our back on him and we walk away. That's the cycle. When you and I stop loving God, we start using God. And when you realize you can't use God anymore, and it's just not working because he doesn't play that game, then eventually you and I are at risk of walking away. And that's what Israel had done. They'd reached that point. 
What's the point of serving you, God? What's the point of knowing you? What's the point of, of, of trying to obey you and follow you? And then all of a sudden we're mourners and then people who have the, the pagans and they have, they have no concept of you and they could care less about you. It's all good for them. I look at the landscape and God, I vo- I, I, we voted and we decided you are not just and you are not good and what's the point of serving you? This is where we could be at risk too if we're not careful. When you stop loving God, you start using God. But thankfully, during this time, there was a remnant. There was a small group of Israelites who weren't playing the same game. And they weren't going down the same path. And finally in Malachi, which has been hard-hitting all the way throughout this book, we finally get some encouraging verses here. Look with me at verse 16 as we continue on. It says that then those, there's a group here, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written in the presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they, this group, they will be my treasured possession. Did you catch that? I don't know what your treasured possession is in this world. God says, you know what? You know who it is? It's you. It's you. His most treasured possession here in context of history, the, those that are, are his, his, this remnant, these people that fear him and want to walk with him, he says, you're my treasured possession. He says, I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. I love this. In a setting where Israel is a spiritual dumpster fire, you've got this group of people, this small remnant, who had the courage to stand up and say, we're going to be different. We're going to be countercultural. We're not going with the flow of all of Israel and grumbling against God. And when it, we, we, Rather, we are going to be people that we are going to bow down and worship to God in contrast to all the others who are standing up in protest against God. They had the courage to be different. They had the courage to stand apart. And I love this. And do you notice what they did first? you notice the first thing they did, this group, as they got together and says, we're not going to go that way. The first thing they did was they created a scroll of remembrance. Well, what's that? Well, basically, it's what it sounds like. It's, it's a document. It's where they, they came together and said, look, we're not going to do that. And so what we're going to do first is we're going to just pause and we're going to reflect and go back and we're going to remember all the things that God has been doing, all the ways he's been faithful in our lives and history. We're just going to recount all of that. Why? Because it encourages faith. Why? Because you and I forget, don't we? We go about our lives and it's just so easy to forget all the ways or not notice God has been faithful and good in our lives. And so this is what they do. They create this scroll of remembrance. And I don't know about you, but as we close 2019 here in a few weeks, what a great idea. I mean, really, to, as an individual or as a family, to say, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to slow down. And I want to do some remembering. And I just want to remember all the ways God has been good to me, good to us in this last year. All all the ways God has shown himself faithful, all the ways that God has provided in special ways, all all the ways God has protected you and I from certain things. Just to remember it all. And your list, I, I, I believe it will get long, pages of just God's goodness and who he is and what he does. 
And then to take that list and bring it before God and say, God, thank you. I want to tell you thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you work. Doing that builds faith. Doing that encourages your heart. It spurs you on to want to know him more and walk with him closer. So what a beautiful example here we have of these, this remnant group of Israel who says, we're not going to do it like everybody else. We're going to follow the Lord and the scroll of remembrance. Which brings us, that finishes chapter 3. That brings us to our last chapter, Malachi chapter 4. It's only six verses. But these are the last words from God to Israel. This is the end of the Old Testament. These are the last words that God has to Israel before 400 years of silence. And you know how it is with last words, right? They're not, they're not wasted. These are important words. Now, there's so much in these six verses. It's a very short chapter. But I just want to zero in on two ideas, the big ideas of what God is trying to communicate to Israel and by extension to us as well in Malachi chapter 4. So let's go ahead and turn there now. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, as we wrap up this book. God says, surely the day is coming. Now he's speaking about the end times here. He says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. What's going on here? Well, this is a strong warning against the disobedient. This is a strong warning against those who have walked away from God, turned their back on him. Now, in contrast, let's look at verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Now, here's the key. Here's the key. He says, remember the law. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Here's the first message, your next fill in the blank, and the first message that God has for Israel. It's this idea. God wanted Israel to remember his law. This was important to God. He wanted Israel to remember his words, to remember scripture. To, to not forget, and, and here's the irony of the whole thing with this command, with this idea, is that that's the very thing Israel was doing. That's why there was a family meeting. They had walked away from it all, and so God is calling them, pleading them back. He says, look, these are, these are my last words for you, but I need you to come, remember this. Remember my words to you. Not just Malachi, but all the way back. Remember my commands. Remember what I taught you. Now, in your bulletin, you'll notice that word remember is important. And if you have your Bible, I would circle it or highlight it. In Hebrew, that word is zakar. And what that means is remember and recall or respond, excuse me, appropriately. It means to recall and respond appropriately. Now, let me get, just as by way of example, if I'm going about my day and there remember that I have to pick up my kids from school and then go, eh, oh well, and go about my day, that's not zakar, right? That's being a bad parent. That's different. Zakar is I remember I need to pick up my kids and I respond. I go pick up my kids. That's the idea. And so what God is saying here, it's not, look, I just want you to kind of know about the Bible. I just want you to kind of remember the Bible. If you would cross-stitch it on a few pillows, throw it on your bed, that's cool. Maybe hang it in your kitchen, that's nice. That's really what I'm getting at. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying, I want you in the word so you can live the word. I want you to absorb the word so you can squeeze it out in application in daily life. That's Zakar. God is saying, look, Israel, before it goes dark and I go silent, I've given you all that you need for life and godliness. I need you to follow me and love me and do what I've commanded. That's what he's calling them here in these last words. Do what I've asked you to do because all of God's commands, really, they are there for two reasons. One, to protect and provide for each one of us. And see, this has to do with us too. This is about us as well, you and I, because here's why. Next fill in the blank, it's this. I'm just, I, the longer I live and the more longer I'm a Christian, the more I believe this is true. You cannot live well for God without being in the word of God. You can't. There's no way. You can fake it till you make it. You can go through the motions. You can show up to church. You can be in a small group. But if you are not in this, the words of life, your lifeline to him where you are hearing from him, learning from him, it's a difficult road to walk. See, this is for us. God wants you and I to zakar. Scripture. Remember. Respond. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about ears, heart, hands. Repeat. Ears, heart, hands, repeat. If you're like, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is, is the Christian life. You could boil it down to this idea that, that we hear and we, we receive Scripture, ears, and we hear it, we absorb it into our heart, we move it out in application to our hands, and then we do it again. That the Christian life is hearing from God, believing and absorbing what he says, and living it out with our hands. That's what it looks like. Ears, heart, hands, repeat. And we do it over and over again. That's what it looks like. You cannot live well for God without being in the word of God. So can I give you a couple ideas? Just, they may not be the best ideas, but if you're here this morning and you're like, okay, Fine, I sign me up. I'm convinced. Where do I start? Couple ideas. First one, social media. We we talked about this before, but but did you know on Instagram and Facebook there are right now every morning, every day, scripture goes out for you. So if you're not following, liking those pages, whatever platform you like, or both, you can go there. You can get a daily scripture, and if nothing else, read that scripture. If nothing else, just, just whether on your smartphone or pull out your Bible and read it. And as you go about your day, think about that, what it's saying. Think about that scripture throughout your day. That's a super easy way, just delivered right to you this Christmas season, this Advent season, a great way to do it. So use Instagram, use Facebook. Another one is I would encourage you to take time and, and pick one of the gospel accounts. Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just pick one of them and, and say, look, I'm just going to, this Christmas season, I want to read through this, especially maybe Matthew uh, or, or Luke as it has the Christmas account, and you can read for yourselves a Christmas account this Christmas season. If you're wondering, like, well, what about, I mean, there's four books. I, which one do I pick? Well, let me steer you more to the Gospel of John. And you'll see that logo there. That's actually a little foreshadowing. This is where we're going in January. When we come back after the Christmas season, we are jumping in for 15 weeks, every Sunday, every small group, every week in the Gospel of John. And we're going to walk verse by verse through this. In addition to that, you're going to be getting a book, a devotional booklet built by New Hope. People in New Hope, sitting in, in these pews every Sunday, building this devotional booklet out that's going to walk you through this entire book. This is going to be a phenomenal time, but why not spend time now, read through it yourself. And just, just read through it and learn what's there, because you're going to learn things about Jesus you never maybe knew before if you haven't read the Gospels before. Did you know that 90% of John is unique just to John? 
Meaning if John didn't exist, the gospel of John, we would know nothing about this part of Jesus' life. The other gospels repeat themselves a lot, but not John. John is utterly unique and remarkable. What a great place to read. So these are just a couple ideas this Christmas season, today, starting now, getting in the word. So God's command, God's encouragement, remember my law. That's the first one. Here's the second one. We'll wrap up with this. Verses five and six, Malachi chapter four, last words of the entire Old Testament. Here's what God says. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Here's your next fill in the blank. God not only wanted Israel to remember his law, he wanted Israel to look for the Messiah. This is what he's saying here. He's telling Israel, he's saying, look, Israel, look, we've had this family meeting. It's coming to a close, but th this is what's happening next. You're not going to hear from me. And he didn't say 400 years. They didn't know, but he says, the next thing I'm going to do, and this is a promise, is I'm sending a Savior. And that Savior will be preceded by somebody who's a prophet, a lot like Elijah. You know who Elijah is, right? You know, to the Israelites. He's like that. So be on the lookout, pay attention, anticipate the coming of the Messiah. This is what God is trying to communicate. Now, who is this Elijah and who is this character from verse 5? Well, we know it's John the Baptist. How do we know? What Jesus told us. Look with me just on the screen behind you. You don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus talking. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. There's another passage too in Luke chapter one where Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's dad, there's an angel who visits him and this angel is communicating to Zechariah what his son will be like. It's a prophecy. He's talking about John the Baptist and here's one verse out of that entire prophecy where he speaks about John the Baptist to his father. He says, and he, speaking of John, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's it. That wraps up the family meeting. Those are his words. And his last words, remember my words, remember my law, and anticipate what I do. Anticipate the coming of a Savior. We would say anticipate Christmas. Anticipate Christmas. Look forward to it. And this is the part where I, words kind of fail because we know the Christmas story. But Christmas is the most unimaginable account in human history. I mean, think about it. Think about what is going on. Christmas is God who takes on flesh. God who walks among us. God who becomes human while retaining his divinity. Christmas is not only the most remarkable story ever told, I'm convinced it's the most remarkable story that ever could be told. How do you top that? This idea of what God has done, 
This idea of Matthew chapter 1, here's the slide here. Just look at what it says. It's a prophecy from the Old Testament. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, part of anticipating Christmas, part of preparing our hearts for Christmas, I think is slowing down enough to come back to the truth that even though every single one of us are on the naughty list, God responds to us different than culture and coal and all the traditions that we have for those who are bad. He says, you know what, for those on the naughty list, I give a savior. I give a savior. And this idea that God creator of heaven and earth, God who is sustainer of all, who is, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-good, Lord of heaven and earth, also gives us and takes on himself the name Emmanuel, God with us, God with you. Meaning he's not far. So, so you know what that means? It means that no matter what you're going through this Christmas, and I've said this before, Christmas is the time of year that accentuates where you're already at. So if life is good, Christmas is great. If life is hard, Christmas is horrible. It can be at least. But, but, but here's the thing. No matter where you're at and what you're going through, God, in our text this morning, as we're wrapping up, I think he wants to communicate to us. He is Emmanuel. He wants to be with us through it. If you're going through something challenging, he doesn't want you to go through it alone. He says, I want to go with you. Invite me into it. And I don't know what you're facing this Christmas. I don't know what challenges you're going through. I don't know what, what it is. But did you know that whatever you're facing, that there's a good chance that that first Christmas had it all. That it had the same thing that you're facing too. Maybe you're going through relationship problems right now. That was a part of that first Christmas. Maybe you're going through a feeling alone. No, that was there too. Maybe for you, it's, it's financial problems, and that was a part of the first Christmas. That was experienced then. Stress and strain, busyness, fatigue, all of that was a part of the first Christmas. All of it was there and more. But in the midst of it, Jesus showed up, didn't he? In the midst of it, he showed himself as Emmanuel. So here's what I'd like to do. The band, if you come up, please, if you would. We're going to close this morning. I want to carve out a minute, maybe a couple minutes, to give you and I time to slow down enough to marvel at Christmas. And this idea of who... Jesus is as Emmanuel. So, so here's what I'd like us to do. We're, you, can, you can put notes aside or Bible or whatever you have. It, this is just you and God time, just silent praying to him. We're gonna, the band will be playing quietly behind, and, and this is just time for you and him. But, but I'm going to give you some prompts, too. Uh, here's the first one. As I'd like you and I to take a moment, and you're not necessarily writing things down. That's okay. You can do that later if you want. But just in your mind, do, do a scroll of remembrance. In your mind, carve out a few moments where you just recall last week, last month, this past year, and just say, God, I'm just recognizing who you are and how you're working. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you. 
take time to remember. And so we'll, we'll have some time for that. And the second prompt I want you to do, and, and myself, is that we would take a moment and we would marvel at the idea of the Son of God taking on flesh, coming into this world, being born in order to die. He came to a manger so he could go to a cross and pay the penalty for our sins. And to just take a moment in the midst of it and marvel, almost with childlike conviction and faith, so that you and I could come to a place where we anticipate Christmas. And maybe for you this morning, it's, it's really about inviting Emmanuel into to be with you in the stuff that you're feeling this Christmas. Share it all with them. Tell them about it. This is your time with God to enjoy it, to pray to him, to thank him, and to worship him. Let's pray together. As we get started, just take a few moments and just remember. Remember who God is and how he's worked in your life this year. praying, take time to to thank God for being Emmanuel, God who is with us, who loves, who is present, not far. this morning we worship you and we thank you for you are Emmanuel, that you are faithful. And despite, like maybe like the Israelites, there are times in our lives where we've turned our back on you, we've walked away, we've shaked our fist in your direction. And yet grace, by your grace, you gave. You gave your son. We thank you that he is Emmanuel, not just in history, not just 2,000 years ago in a in a crib, a manger in Bethlehem, but he is Emmanuel today, walking with each of us through the things that we face. And Father, as your people, I ask that you would give us the courage to invite you closer. And Father, help us to be men and women of your word who spend time with you so that we can walk with you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for a savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one more song. You know, it's always a little interesting choosing songs around Christmas time. Because we want to sing the carols and the, 
in the Christmas songs and then sometimes to then go back to our kind of normal worship songs. Sometimes it's a little awkward, but in choosing Great Are You, Lord, this morning, it's a perfect fit. Right, as pastor talks about how God was preparing the Israelites